Well, I typically don't like to make announcements during prayer, but I gave you a big hint as to who's speaking this morning in the middle of that, of that prayer. And uh, as you perhaps uh, are unaware, our senior pastor, Ken McDonald, is on a sabbatical here in the month of January, he returns early February. I'm Norb Janke, I'm the associate pastor, and in uh, Pastor Ken's absence, we have a number of voices that uh, will be sharing God's word. I've done the last couple, and this morning, Kyer Hummer is going to, uh, to speak. Kyer is no stranger to our congregation. He and his wife, uh, Deb, and their children, um, Alyssa and Noah, have uh, attended TCC for uh, a number of years now. Uh, Kyer works uh, at Taylor, uh, just down the street from us. He's uh, uh, doing some teaching there in world religions, but also at Concordia College. So he's a little bit of an itinerant teacher, travels around a little bit between some of the local uh, Christian colleges. And um, also is the director of White Cross. And uh, you may not be familiar with that, but it's basically a humanitarian uh, mission uh, on behalf of uh, North American Baptist churches. That's uh, our church is part of that. And uh, we, we send bandages and crutches and, and hospital beds, and, and he could tell you so much more about it. That's not his focus this morning, so if you catch him and have an opportunity to have brunch with him, ask him about the work that he does, because it really is quite phenomenal. Um, Every year there's, what, two, three large shipping containers that get sent right here from Edmonton uh, overseas, primarily to Cameroon, and uh, to to support all of the the hospital and uh, um, medical uh, missions that, uh, that are done there. So Kyra is going to speak this morning, but before he does, his, he's continuing on in the series that we've been doing called Taking Jesus Seriously from the Gospel of John. And this week, we are in John 13. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to show the, uh, the clip from the Gospel of John that will uh, bring this scripture to life this morning, and then Kyra is going to come now and speak. the day before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. He had always loved those in the world who were his own, and he loved them to the very end. Jesus and his disciples were at supper. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him complete power. He knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel round his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter. 
Are you going to wash my feet, Lord? You do not understand now what I am doing, but you will understand later. Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, you will no longer be my disciple. Lord, do not wash only my feet then. Wash my hands and head too. <laughs> Those who have taken a bath are completely clean and do not need to wash themselves, except for their feet. All of you are clean. All except one. Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. That is why he said, all of you except one are clean. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I've just done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right that you should do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, so that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No slaves are greater than their master, and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. Thanks for the introduction, Norb. I decided not to uh, wear the, the uh, portable mic today. I'm going to force myself to hold still and not come down and scare people and things like that. I'll see how it goes. Sometimes I like to wander. I just thought it would be good, good practice to, uh, to hold still, especially with... Uh, with uh, the topic that we have today, which we saw from the clip, there's actually a lot going on in here. What I, what I focused on in the title I've given is uh, recognizing servanthood uh, and, you know, so exploring John 13, but particularly this passage in John 13, 1 to 17, uh, and particularly focusing on the foot washing of Jesus uh, and what that means. And as I prep the sermon this week, as I, as I do when, when I get asked semi-regularly to preach, I think they give me enough time that I, I think, oh yeah, yeah, I can do that. And then I get into it and remember how much work it is. Every time. Every time. And then I think every week our pastors are prepping and, uh, and sharing with us. And I'm always so appreciative at that point. In panic, but also appreciative. I don't know if appreciative panic is such a thing, but uh, that's what it is. Uh, you know, but it's great to come together. I know we only have a short time. Uh, it's not like we have time to unpack and, and see every facet of this. We have about a I speak for around a half hour. And so why do we do this? Is it you know, meant to be rushed? Are we just going through the motions? Well, it's important to come together 
uh, and to open up the Word. Uh, it's not a intense study time. We have time for that in small groups or on our own or in other situations throughout the weeks and months. Uh, but this is a, ch- a chance together, to come together, to sing, and to break a, a piece of the Word off and, and uh, explore it together as a, as a group. Um, and it's always an enjoyable time for me. Of course, the reality is that when we go to explore these things, uh, there's a lot of background to what we're doing. And particularly for myself, with my uh, a lot of study in New Testament, when we, when we talk about the background to, to things like this, I have to give myself very clear notes. So I just talk about a few things and not all the stuff that, that lies around it. Um, but the reality is that these writings that we're reading, they're... they're um, they're not texts that are just floating somewhere in the air and we walk around and pick them out. These came from a specific time and place. They represent a time when uh, times in, in the life and the history of the people of God, when God spoke and demonstrated important things, both about ourselves and about the character of God. Uh, and so these are texts that, that, like Jesus, who came and lived among us, as John describes it, set up his dwelling on our block, moved into our neighborhood, the texts we're reading are the same thing. They're real human writings, um, but they weren't written in our time. And uh, so many of you already know that that, uh, the originals were written, likely uh, the Gospels, many of them were probably in Aramaic originally and then translated into Greek, and then for us, uh, most of us translated into English. Perhaps you read it in a different language if that's your mother tongue. But most of us, and certainly we're working in English this morning. So we're dealing with an English text in the 21st century in Canada, reading something uh, that was written or, you know, translated into Greek in first century Palestine. It's a world we don't know. Um, and so there's always a challenge. Because it was, it, it, it was grounded in human time, it's, it's tied to human language and human culture. And so the examples uh, given are, are such. And uh, so there are a number of things I just want to quickly point out as we move through John that gives us some background. The first thing is that what we're looking at here is a private conversation. Uh, last week it was noted that um, chapter 12 was the end of the public ministry of Jesus. And as we move into chapter 13 all the way through tell uh, Jesus' death, uh, we're looking at private conversation with his disciples. Now it's thought that this all occurred the week not, not, not just the week before, the night before his death, potentially. Um, but likely, it's, it's private conversations that were had throughout his time with them, and John has chosen to put them all uh, in this setting of around the meal. Uh, certainly, Jesus talked a lot more than I am going to uh, for that, that period of time with his disciples. And there were some other things that happened. Um, and so we've moved here from the public ministry to the private ministry. And I just say that to remind us that we're listening to Jesus' private conversation with some, some uh, comments by, by the, the author, John. You know, so at the start he says, you know, for he loved his own. And so it's a comment on his close-knit group of disciples, apostles, the, uh, the, the small group that surrounded him. Now, there were multiple rings of people who were around Jesus and ministered with him and worked with him. And this is kind of the private one between him and the other uh, the other apostles as they, they come to be entitled. So we're listening to, to that. And it, it's, it's kind of like, have you ever sat in and had someone listen to your conversation? Maybe you're married or maybe you have a roommate and you're talking to them and someone kind of comes in and stands and listens to you. 
and then they start trying to interject in the middle of that conversation, not having a clue what your relationship's about or what you're talking about. And uh, you're, you want to turn and say, could you just shut up and let us, you know, have our conversation here? Well, we need to be careful not to be that person who's looking in on this private conversation and thinking we know everything that's going on there. And that's not as important today, but it is important as we move through these, these next sections that, that we're privileged to listen to the, these private, inner, personal conversations between Jesus and his disciples that have meaning for us, of course, but initially recognize what we're listening to. Secondly, besides public-private conversation, is there are layers of meaning that are occurring in this text. And John loves to write with multiple layers of meaning. Um, right from the very beginning, when he starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, etc. Uh, in that, he plays with, with meaning of the time of the, this term logos. And here, in this text, we're dealing with multiple layers. We get a peek about, he's talking about... Uh, Judas and how he's going to betray him and Jesus talking about that. I'm not going to cover that today. We don't have, have time for it. Well, you don't have time for me to do it. It might be a good nap, I suppose, but the brunch would get cold in the meantime. So I'm going to focus on the foot washing, but even that has, has a couple layers to it. And one of them, one layer is forgiveness. It's actually, for John, he's talking about the forgiving of one another, the need to do that, and, and washing the feet as a symbol of that. Now, it's, it's, it's a it's not just, you know, it's, it's a complex uh, one, you know, because Peter says, well, wash my hands and my head, and Jesus says, well, you don't need that. And to unpack all of that and, and try to understand what's being said there, of course, would take a little bit more time. So the second part that is focused on, the more obvious one that he's demonstrating is servanthood. He serves uh, his disciples in this act of foot washing. So I'm going to focus in on, on, on servanthood um, and, of course, the title is Recognizing Servanthood. I mean, it's not even a term that we use that much anymore. So what do we mean when we say servanthood? What does it look like? Um, and so that's what I'd, I'd like to, uh, to focus on. Uh, and right before moving into that, though, just want to note that there's strong cultural meaning with this act of foot washing uh, and that John is using these two layers to it. Uh, it's set in a different culture. How many of you... Uh, Generally, when people come to your house, ask them to take their shoes off and wash their feet. You know, you just get a show of hands. I mean, it, it still occurs in some cultures. Not tends to be in the Canadian culture. Um, and usually that's because we're so bundled up. You know, it would take us an hour to get the foot wear off. You know, multiple layers of socks and boots because you've got to stay warm. Um, but in their world, certainly, it was, it was warm. Um, but uh, one of the first things I want to I highlight is the fact that, that the feet get very dirty uh, in, that, in that setting. And, and so I've got a picture here. It's not of, these aren't first century feet, but there's some dirty feet and sandals, which gives us an idea of what we're talking about. Um, now, people would clean themselves. They would have baths at home. You, you know, you don't go to someone else's house and ask them to give you a bath, which is kind of the conversation that's occurring between Peter and Jesus. Um, but the act of walking at that time meant that you often, your feet often became quite filthy. And when I say filthy, I mean filthy. How many of you walk, have walked along and you walk along the sidewalk and there's this beautiful offering of someone's dog that, that they didn't pick up as they went and you've got to make sure to avoid it or you're on one of the paths. You know, and there's signs everywhere, pick up after your dog, but they didn't. And how many are bothered by that a little bit? Uh, you know, and you've got to be careful, don't step in it, Right. Well, imagine if we didn't have the rule you pick up after your dog, and we had all the kinds of other animals running around, and they just pooped wherever they felt like it. 
That's all over the ground. Um, as well, human waste was uh, tossed out of windows. You know, so picture streets like the, the uh, European ones that you see in movies. They're narrow. The walls go up right beside them. You might fit a, a, a small car down that street. This is where people walk. And what do you do with your, your uh, waste from overnight? Well, you just out the window it goes, right? Now, uh, you know, some cities were cleaner than others, but large cities could be quite dirty and quite filthy. Uh, so you could get human and animal waste on your, your feet, uh, and, you know, that then dries and collects dust and all sorts of things. And, and cleaning them, um, when you come into the house, it was common then that they would provide someone to clean your feet. The other part of the strong cultural mean is, though, the fact that cleaning itself was me a menial job. <clears throat> so cleaning was a menial job. It was a low-end job. And we don't need to go into all the details, but just I'm trying to give you some image. I'm trying not to be too gross this morning, but I also want us to understand that this was a disgusting action to have to get down there, and hopefully it had dried by the time they got to your house. But now you've got to wet them and get all that smell back up again, and it's going to get on your clothes, so you have to take your, your clothes off. So there's actually discussion in Jewish texts about the fact that Jewish slaves shouldn't have to do the job of cleaning uh, feet of those who are coming into your house. Uh, that task should be given to non-Jewish slaves. And we're not going to get into the whole question of slavery and what that means and, and how we have moved past it as a... As a as a civilization and as Christians. Um, that's a whole another discussion. But it's interesting, even the slaves, uh, some were not, were not allowed to. So there's all kinds of discussion about that. There's a text in which uh, a famous rabbi's mother actually makes an appeal to the elders that she wants to wash her son's feet. And she's denied that because it would be too demeaning for her. Now she's wanting to do it because her son is famous and she says it would be an honor for her. Um, uh, usually, even in that situation, though, even though it's an honorable person whose feet you're washing, not everyone should be doing that task. It was a lowly job. It was a menial job. Peter's reaction tells us how embarrassing this was for him, uh, that his Lord and Master took his cloak off. Now he's in his undies, and he's going to bend down and wash his feet. Uh, he was... He was uh, horribly embarrassed and upset, and that's why he declared, he kind of stutters a little bit at the start, he goes, no, 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 you, me, no, <laughs> no touchy the feet, uh, not, you are not washing my feet, Lord, no. Uh, we, his reaction tells us how horrible this job was and how embarrassed he was that his teacher, his master, his Lord was uh, wanting to do this. And I tried to think, well, is there anything that parallels it today? We don't have, a, in our culture, we don't have a lot of sort of fixed cultural activities that we do and, and fixed levels of what people can or can't do. Uh, you know, I thought of a number of examples that may or may not work, and I thought of one that, that perhaps can evoke for us, for some of us, uh, uh, what it might do. So picture this. Picture Pastor Norb shows up at your house, and, you know, he's got... Uh, you know, he looks like he, you know, he's got a suit jacket on, but you let him in. And as soon as he's in the door, he whips that jacket off, and he's got scrub clothes underneath, and he's got a bucket. And, he's, and be, before you know it, he's between you and your bathroom. He says, I just come here to clean your toilet for you. Oh, he's going to go in your bathroom. You haven't cleaned it for a week. You didn't know anyone was coming over, right? 
And the pastor is going to walk into your bathroom and see what it looks like, and then he's going to get down and clean your toilet. No, no. You know, if you could have been between him and the bathroom, some of you would, would throw your body there and say, you are not crossing this path. Uh, maybe that evokes a little bit for us the anxiety that Peter felt. This was something that was almost demeaning for him because that, that his Lord would be put in this position to have to do this uh, to him. And but at its basis, when you when you take away these cultural, in, in almost a shocking way, Jesus is trying to model for them what does it mean to serve one another. What does it mean to be a servant? Uh, and that is what he uh, explores with his close followers in that setting. And so, with that in mind, let, let's just talk about servanthood uh, on a couple of points. So what I want to start with is talking about what servanthood is not. So, servanthood, what it is not. And I wrestled with, should I talk about this? It seems awfully negative. Maybe I should just talk about positive aspects of servanthood. But I think there have been a number of, of uh, bumps in the, in the road of, of trying to model and talk about servanthood in the history of, of uh, Christian life and culture. Um, and so I want to talk about uh, what servanthood is not in light of this ceremony that, or this action that Jesus did for his disciples. First of all, I want to say that servanthood is not simply a repetition of this action. Servanthood as it looks like today is not simply a repetition of the action of Jesus. You do have that occur. You, there are foot washing ceremonies that, are, that, ha, that happen. Uh, so there are Christian churches um, and places where uh, they wash one another's feet as, as part of uh, their action. I actually have a picture of that occurring on the next slide. <clears throat> and I want to say a few things about foot washing ceremonies. First of all, when I'm saying what it's not, I'm not uh, chastising people uh, for this. So, so for some, this is a regular activity like communion. Once a month, uh, you know, second Sunday of the month or whatever, some churches will have the, the leadership team will go around and wash everyone's feet in the congregation. Uh, and for those who have ever ex- experienced it, uh, I have before, it's, it can be a very meaningful and deep and symbolic action, particularly for those whose church it is to have uh, you know, their, their leaders come and do this for them. Some practice it once a year on Maudie Thursday during Holy Week as, uh, again, uh, copying what Jesus did for his disciples. And it can be a very meaningful action. I don't want to, to, to give you the sense that it can't be meaningful or symbolic at all when I say that this is not what servanthood is. Um, what I mean this is that this is not what servanthood looks like today. It can be an action that can remind us of what Jesus did, that can trigger for us how we ought to think about other people. Um, but it's, it's not how we, we live our daily lives on a regular basis. It's not really uh, the, what Jesus meant by modeling it. Do this once a Sunday. And some of you, perhaps, if you've been involved with uh, foot washing or had it regularly, I've talked to people who have, and here's what I hear. Yeah, it's foot washing Sunday. So I washed my feet beforehand, of course. I don't want the pastors to smell how stinky they are. And I put a little bit of perfume on them so they're, you know, they, they actually smell quite nice. And that way I'm not embarrassed when I take my shoes off and he comes around, right? Okay. 
You lose a lot of meaning and symbolism from that, but there are still the act of bending down and washing can be symbolic. But you're not really getting, we're not really experiencing what happened in that original context. We're just kind of, in some ways, going through the motions, you know. You'd have to get caught cold. That's what we're going to do right now. Everyone take your shoes off, you know, and then maybe you feel some panic rising. Oh, I didn't shower this morning. Um, <clears throat> no, we're not. I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, so you can relax. But uh, it's just, just a reminder that, it, that all this can be a meaningful ritual and, and reminder. It's not what we mean when we say this is what it means to serve, uh, to serve one another. Some people even do it uh, for weddings. And I've got another picture symbolizing that. And again, this is a great symbolism. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this done. Maybe some of you uh, have done it yourselves. But here, you know, you're symbolizing the, the mutual submission to one another. The wa- and so the husband washes his wife's feet and the wife washes her husband's feet. And again, it's a wonderful, submi- uh, significant indication of the, the submission that Ephesians talks about, that husbands and wives are to submit to one another. Um, but a good marriage requires, I think, more than that you washed each other's feet at the wedding. Uh, if, if that's not modeled in how you act and live on a daily basis, then I suspect there was no sense doing that in the first place at, at the, uh, the wedding. Uh, if any of you are married, you know, even in any long-term relationship, long-term friendships, there has to be ongoing forgiveness and ongoing humility on the part of both people. Uh, in order for the relationship to, uh, to continue and be strong. And now if both people, if both who did this action in their marriage consider and treat each other better than themselves, then they're likely going to build a strong and healthy marriage. Um, but the reality is that this is not, um, this is not servanthood. It, it is modeled in what I described, but the act of foot washing in a, in a wedding ceremony is not servanthood. It requires living it out in the daily life. And before we get to that, that's kind of talking about what it is. Just a couple more things about what servanthood is not. Uh, And uh, second one, uh, you know, first was repetition of the action. Secondly, um, servanthood is not something that people can demand. And I've put demand in quotes because it depends on how you perceive it. And maybe that's not the right word. Um, And it's, it's, for me, I've experienced it, but it's more rare, but we see it all the time portrayed, and it's how people uh, often perceive these kind of things. <clears throat> but there have been times, and maybe you've had it happen to you, where you've heard someone say, or maybe someone has said to you, I thought you were a Christian, or I thought you were a pastor, or I thought this, so why aren't you doing this for me? Or something like that. And it's meant to be... Uh, they've been listening to this private conversation. They know that you're supposed to forgive them. They know that you're supposed, whatever it is, right? And so uh, they kind of, you know, it's a guilt thing. Well, why aren't you doing it to me right now? You know, can you picture that? Uh, we never get an example of that in the, in the gospel. Let's, let, well, let's make up our own gospel, you know, uh, where you've got, you know, the proud and angry religious leaders of Jesus' day, they get wind of what Jesus said to his his uh, disciples in this moment and what he did, and uh, so one of them pulls his stinky foot out and says, "Hey Jesus, I hear that you you know you tell everyone else to wash feet. Why don't you wash mine right now?" Right? I mean, that's not it's not something that's, that's that that functions out of demand. And in that, I suspect, as I'm making up this imaginary gospel, I suspect that Jesus would have done something like. 
I could wash all of you and it still would not help, or some you know, response like that. Uh, he's not going to go, oh, oh, you're right, yeah, I, I should do that for you too. Right? And so that's, sometimes this happens. We get in a sense, we, we think, oh, we need to be servants, we need to learn what serving is, and then you get people go, so, serve me. Let's go. Uh, get on it. And it's the complete opposite of what it, it's meant to be. And that's not, you know, it's not something that you're meant to be guilted into and you shouldn't be going, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I should, I should do it. Now, maybe when someone says that, maybe when someone says to you, I thought you were a Christian, it, it's a chance to say, hey, you know what? They're right. And maybe in a, a situation like that, you might go, you know what? You're, it's inappropriate for you to, to demand that of me, but I'm, I'm going I'm to do that for you um, because I do want to show you that I care about you and maybe we've had bad, you know, bad issues in the past and I want to you know I want to demonstrate for you so I'm going to do that for you whatever it was that was you know demanded of you that could be done but it, it needs to be done out of a genuineness not oh they've demanded of me so now I've got to uh, uh, obey right the it, they need to be chosen actions out of free will uh, that's what what uh, servanthood ends up being and lastly servanthood is not something that can be faked <laughs> not something that can be faked. Any action or thought that's done with the intent of looking good, oh, I'm going to wash his feet because everyone's watching and they'll know that I'm a servant, is not what we're talking about at all. You can do the action and it can be absolutely meaningless. In fact, it can be the complete opposite of what is intended. Uh, instead of humility being dis- displayed, it's hypocrisy. And we all know that this is a common thing that often people talk about. I had a conversation with a student this week who, well, my parents are Christians, but I'm not, because Christians are just hypocrites. They just make up all these rules and then they never follow them, or whatever, you know. And, and so we had a conversation about it, and I, you know, I, I tried to help first listen to the concerns and then help guide. But at the same time, there's some truth to it. Even when we're trying, you know, we think, oh, I've got I've to be a servant. I've got to wash people's feet. I've got to do stuff for people. Uh, but then we, it just ends up, you know, trying to look good. You end up trying to make yourself look good. You do it because you're feeling guilt from the demand that was made. Or you're innerly, you, got, you go, oh, oh, yeah, I should be. Um, and, and so uh, you do it. Now, at this point, this is what I wrestle with. This is not meant to be a, <laughs> you know those kind of people, don't you? They're horrible. Because uh, that's also the opposite of what I'm saying. So I'm not saying this so we can mock other people or put ourselves down. For some people, maybe this is a place to start. Maybe when you first do something for someone else, it doesn't feel genuine, but it, it, it you know, like bending down and washing feet, it, it kind of puts you in a position where you begin to think about your relationship differently or think about who you are differently. So for some people, this could be a starting place, even if it's not fully genuine. Um, so this isn't about judging people, nudging your neighbor and going, yeah, you know, you know what they're talking about, right? Um, at the same time, there, it, it's, it's, um, it is meant to counter uh, the thinking that servanthood is about display. Right? And Jesus' action in itself is very clear on that. I mean, he... Peter's reaction to Jesus' action, again, was very clear. This was a horrible, horrible thing for him to do. It embarrassed him. I mean, uh, I don't want to leave you with horrible pictures, but imagine, you know, again, well, you're just going to pick on Pastor Norb because he's right here, you know. 
If he shows up in a loincloth or something, that's just embarrassing in and of itself, right? And I actually like that about the video, that you've got the Jesus here, who's been the Jesus for people through this video, and then suddenly he's got almost nothing on, and it's kind of embarrassing. Some of us want to do this, you know? It's like, Jesus shouldn't be in his undies. Uh, right. It, was, uh, it wasn't a, a, a look-at-me-how-great-I-am activity. It was, uh, I may be the Son of God, but I still can bend the knee and do any menial task for you because that's ultimately what servanthood is about. And he didn't look at it all in it. So it's a great example in that setting um, for modeling this for us. And, and then uh, under this as well, besides looking good, you need to be careful. One needs to be careful bringing your own agenda. And I need to be careful to bring an agenda to it. Sometimes we do it, we go, oh, yeah, I need to... I need to show people that I'm loving so that they know I'm a Christian and they see that I'm different than everybody else. And that in itself just can become very fake very quickly. And that's also what people often feel about Christians. Uh, you know, it's just, oh, I, I, need to, I need to, you know, love my neighbor, so I'm going to go. It reminds me of, uh, of, you know, people who come door to door occasionally to my house and want to chat with me about stuff and and uh, one of the new things they've been trained to say is, can I help you with something? And you know what that means. Can I get some kind of toe in the door so I can start talking to you? It doesn't mean I, I care about you as a person and is a, genuinely, is there something I can help you with, right? So we need to be very careful that this is not an agenda. I need to show that I'm a good, loving Christian like Jesus. So, oh, right? And we, we can get caught up into... Um, an agenda-driven, well, if I do this, then I can tell them about Jesus. No, if you, if you have that in your mind at all, don't say a thing. Don't say a thing. Because it'll, people can read that from a mile away. They can see your agenda coming from a mile away. Hey, neighbor, can I help you with that? No. <laughs> Who would say no? Well, because there's an, they know there's an agenda behind the asking. So it has to be genuine, right? And which brings us, let's move on to what, what, it, what a servanthood is. And I've, I've, I've indicated that already in talking about what it's not, but just to, um, just to focus on a couple of things to talk about what servanthood is, I've, I've got uh, three little things to, to, uh, to note with on that point. First of all, servanthood is an indication of equality. Equality. Jesus, their teacher, their master, their Lord, their God, humbled himself in order to show them how it should work. And he even said it afterwards if they didn't get it. He said this, You call me teacher and Lord? You are right, for that is what I am. And I'll say a little bit about that in a second. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And again, this is working on multiple levels. If I, the sinless one, am able to, instead of going, oh, I'm getting tired of you sinning, that's it. If I'm able to say, I forgive you, then you, who get your feet dirty as well, ought to be able to do that to others. And again, that's a, that's a whole other level that we, uh, we don't have time to really explore. <clears throat> but essentially it's this. There's no Christian is better than any other Christian if we talk about the inner circle, nor is a Christian better than any other person? If Jesus, 
the king, the lord, the master, indicated that he was no better than his disciples, then that's one of the first things that ought to be for us. Now, the the struggle here, of course, is that we have different roles, and that's where Jesus says, I am your teacher, I am your master. He didn't run around all the time trying to do every menial task so they would know. uh, There were other people who did that. He even had Martha come and complain to him once because he's out chatting chatting up with Mary, and she's out back cleaning all the dishes and doing all the work. Um, Now, she doesn't chastise him and say, you ought to get back and wash the dishes like you wash their feet. Um, But she does say, Mary should be coming back and helping me. Right, And so that's always the challenge with this, is the fact that we have roles. We don't demand that our pastors ought to do all the menial tasks around to show us, uh, you know, or the leadership ought to do these, these menial tasks. Uh, we need to do our jobs. Uh, could you imagine if you're, uh, you know, a policeman, a police officer, and a, a Christian, uh, and, you know, you, you're going to arrest someone, they know you're a Christian, they go, oh, you can't put cuffs on me, get on and wash my feet. You know, you got to be, you got to forgive me. You got to let me go. No, actually, I don't. But as a Christian, I need to treat you as a human being with dignity, with love, with compassion, even while doing the job that is set before me. Some of you function as a boss. And could you imagine if you had all your, your, uh, all the people who work for you always saying to you, oh, you're a Christian. You're going to tell me what to do? You do it. You show me you're a servant, right? Or or something like that, going back to the whole demand thing. So we have roles in society that we need to do. This isn't about that. This isn't about we need to forget those roles. But it's about in the midst of those roles, showing humility and love. And that's what our next point is, that, that servanthood ultimately is living in a way that demonstrates humility and love. And even when you're the boss, sometimes it means pushing someone, but you, it, and it's, a, it's something that needs to be worked on. Uh, but this is what is at the core of servanthood. It's not about, uh, you know, one action or another. There isn't any checklist for us to follow. Oh, uh, you know, can you put, at the end I'll give you a checklist, and it'll be the, all the things you need to do this week to show that you're a servant. And it, there isn't one. It's not a list of things you do. It's, it's about uh, starts on the inside knowing uh, that you are not greater than anyone else. You may have a different role sometimes than they do, um, but at the core of it, we are to show humility and love in all things that we do. And trust me, this is not something that you start out life with or you just you know, become a Christian and go, oh, I'm going to show humility and love, and, and it's easy as that. It's done. It's a lifetime pro- process of learning and growing and trying and doing. And this is the part where we get to that private conversation because in order to do it, it really usually starts with the closest ones around you. It's your family. It's your friends. That's where you start to really truly show humility, love, servanthood. And if you learn to do that and if you learn the correct attitude of putting others before yourself, uh, that then can goes out from there and you're able in different situations and circumstances to show it becomes because because it has come, become a part of who you are. Uh, so no checklist, no, no uh, yeah, did it, did it, did it. Uh, I'm a great servant. Uh, next checklist, let me see. A plus plus for servanthood for me. Um, and it's not about beating yourself up either, right? Yeah, I hope you're understanding that. Although there might be times you do something that can be a little bit... Uh, 
seem a little bit demeaning, and, and that's, that might be, uh, you know, if you show up for a visit and they ask you to clean your toilet at their house. And, and, uh, well, you, you wrestle with that on your own. And, and last point is this, this is something to model to others, and this is what Jesus talked about. I'm doing it. Why am I doing it? I want you to see what you should be doing. Not look at how great I am. Another checklist for the great things that Jesus did. And once again, because this is so demeaning, it doesn't, there's no check to put up there. But it's a model. He says, I'm doing this. If I can do this for you, then surely you can do it for each other. If I can put myself in this position for you, then surely you can do it for each other. And so it really begins with leaders uh, when we're talking about in the Christian world. Uh, the, the model begins with leadership. You, if you're in a, in, a, in, a, in a church where the leadership can model servanthood, we all better learn servanthood. And so it's a top-down modeling activity. Uh, begins with the leader. We actually talk about this. This is what Jesus talked about. It's what Paul talks about in his writings. Servant leaderhood. Uh, Paul, in fact, one of his writings says, those in charge aren't there to rule over you. We're there to work together for the things that God has called us to. We're co-workers together. So we may be in this position in a role, but when it comes down to it, we're, just, we're all in this together and we're working together. And one of the things I appreciate about TCC, and I'm going to put halos over every, every leadership person here, from, from the, uh, those involved in worship to those, uh, the pastors and the, and the elders and leadership, um, it's a great model of, of servanthood. Now, I haven't said that they're all perfect. And, you know, and that, that's the danger. It's like, oh, then my pastor's perfect. Well, no, we could talk about that, but we'll talk about that at brunch. The imperfections of our pastors. I mean, they know as much as anyone. Pastor Ed, in his, in his, in his, in his message, mentioned about that. You know, the fact that if you saw every thought, uh, you know, you perhaps wouldn't put people on such quite the same pedestal, uh, etc. But I'm appreciative of that. Again, it doesn't mean perfection, but it means that they, they model that I'm not better than you. And, and I know that any one of the pastors, certainly in the leadership team, if I were in a situation where something needed to be done and I needed help, they wouldn't say, well, you know, I'll call someone who's more appropriate to do that in terms of I'm, I'm above that. They'd roll up their sleeves and they'd say, hey, what do you need? Well, how can I help you? Now, I'm not going to call Pastor Norb every night and go, can you come over? You know, Deb didn't clean the toilet this week, and I'd kind of like it shiny, you know. And you're supposed to model this for me, right? That would be inappropriate, right? I'm assuming it would be. Absolutely, he says, yes. Good. Now, that's clear. That's clear for all of you, right? You can't, you can't just do that. You know, but at the same time, I love, you know, I've, I've heard different versions of this story, but have you ever heard a version of this story? It's something, you know, where someone's, Often it's a car breakdown, but, but some crisis has happened in someone's life, and they, they come up to a church, and the only person they can find there is the caretaker who's out. They're all grubbed up, you know, fixing some, something outside, and they, you know, they, they ask for some help, and they're, you know, he's the only person around, so he, he helps them and does whatever they need to do. And then at some point, weeks later or years later, they run into this person, or they go to the church. There are different versions of it, and they discover that, that person who helped them who was all grubbed out and, and didn't say, oh, you know, I'm, not, I'm above that. I was the pastor of the church who just simply helped them where they needed the help. And, I, and it, there are different versions of that story going around. Um, and it's a great one. Whether, whether it's ever happened or not, I don't know. That exact one. 
But certainly it's an example of the model that I'm talking about, where, where those in leadership model that I'm no better than you. Uh, I'll do my job, and sometimes that might mean calling you out on things and, and being tough on certain things and, and uh, doing uh, you know, certain activities. But nonetheless, uh, all of us are called to, to model and to learn from our models of what it does it mean to be a, um, a servant leader. Again, we're not talking perfection here. And so as we wrap up today and as we head off to brunch, we'll, you know, Pastor Ed's going to close the service for us. But as we go to brunch together and into this next week, let me encourage you to live in humility and love and in truth uh, as you grow in your Lord. And let me just also encourage you in a practical way, as you eat brunch together, if you have a story in mind, talk to each other, share a story with someone about Someone in your life who modeled for you what it, what, what it means to be servant. Someone who has modeled for you what it means to show love and humility uh, to one another. And that would be a great conversation starter for brunch. Now let's, let's close with some prayer. Father God, it's a trend, tremendous opportunity to share your word with each one here, we all are busy, and I trust that our time today has been beneficial. May the seed that you have planted in our hearts grow and be nourished this week and this month and in the years to come. In Jesus' name, amen.